Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you're here from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchstone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Norma, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop, The Benefits of Clinical Trials for Triple Negative Breast Cancer. And today's program is a collaborative effort between the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. Um, and I have to say it's really a partnership um, that's developed over many, many years, and um, you probably have noticed that we're offering many more programs on triple negative breast cancer, and it's really, um, really a great thanks to the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and you'll be hearing more about that during the program. And uh, this is, uh, we've done a number of different programs on triple negative breast cancer, and this one is on focusing specifically on clinical trials, and we uh, there are many of you on the call today, so I want to just acknowledge that we have over 300 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, and we also have international participants from Australia, Canada, Dominican Republic, India, Indonesia, Mexico, New Zealand, Taiwan, Turkey, UK. So really, it's quite um, a bit of a global call as well. And for the United States, we have people from both rural, urban suburban and frontier communities as well, primarily from the U.S., but we do have a number of people from a number of different countries listening in as well. And today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, the Celgene Corporation, and a grant from Genentech, and I really want to thank them for their support to this program. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing a first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Generosa Grana. Dr. Grana is Medical Director, MT Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper, Division Head, Hematology and Medical Oncology, the Cooper Health System, Professor of Medicine, Cooper Medical School at Rowan University. And Dr. Grana will be addressing the treatment of triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19, why clinical trials are important as a treatment option for triple negative breast cancer, or TNBC, and the meaning of informed consent. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Grana. Thank you very much, Dr. Mesner. So in the next uh, eight minutes or so, I'm going to review a little bit about the standard of care in triple negative breast cancer, early stage triple negative breast cancer, so we understand uh, the context of COVID-19 and then focus on clinical trials. Triple negative breast cancer, as you all know, is uh, a variant of breast cancer that accounts for about 15% of breast cancer. It means that it is estrogen receptor negative, progesterone receptor negative, and HER2 nu negative, although there are some finer ways of defining this disease that includes genetic analysis. It's more common in younger women, particularly younger African-American women, and more common in mu women with mutations in BRCA1. It tends to be a little bit more advanced at diagnosis. It tends to have slightly more aggressive disease, but I tell my patients that uh, late recurrences are very rare. So once a woman gets through her five years of follow-up, late recurrences are uncommon. The current approach for early-stage breast cancer that's triple negative tends to be surgery, 
either mastectomy or lumpectomy plus radiation. Chemotherapy, and I'm going to come back to chemotherapy because that's where COVID-19 has had the greatest impact. And the important differentiator here is that there's no role for hormone therapy, no role for oncotype testing or some of the other mammoprint tools that you may have heard about uh, having friends had that if they had hormone-positive disease. No role for some of the drugs like trastuzumab or pertuzumab. The chemotherapy that's used is important because these cancers are particularly chemotherapy sensitive. Chemotherapy is used for even very small cancers, five to six millimeters or more, and clearly there is no optimal chemotherapy regimen. Various regimens, various schedules, various durations have been used. If you're from the East Coast of the United States, we tend to use a lot of dose-dense, adriamycin, cytoxin, and paclitaxel. Other areas have slight variations on that. There has been data to show that platinum compounds, carboplatinum and cisplatinum, have activity. And uh, typically, there has been a tendency to use preoperative or neoadjuvant chemotherapy in triple negative disease more so than other types of breast cancer because by using the chemotherapy prior to surgery, it helps us to assess response to our drugs, and it also helps us to better tailor our treatment. These cancers are very responsive to chemotherapy, and up to 50% of patients with early-stage breast cancer who get pre-op chemotherapy may have no residual tumor at the time of surgery uh, if chemotherapy is used. For those that do have residual disease, particularly if it's bigger than a centimeter or if lymph nodes are still positive, then we have other oral chemotherapy agents that can be used. Um, and there are studies now looking at the role of immunotherapy, drugs such as pembrolizumab or tesalizumab. There are also some very interesting studies looking at novel compounds called PARP inhibitors uh, and a variety of other agents. So what did COVID-19 do to the world of breast cancer and in particular to the world of triple negative breast cancer? The first and most important thing is that restrictions were imposed on elective surgeries uh, that led to the recommendations from the American College of Surgery uh, to manage patients slightly differently than we might have otherwise. And in triple negative disease, the recommendation was to use pre-op chemotherapy uh, even in small tumor sizes, because it is very effective and it is a nice way to bridge women through until surgery, elective surgery can be performed. This is actually not a loss at all, because again, as I said, most of us like preoperative chemotherapy uh, for triple negative breast cancer, and we see many benefits for it. Now, fortunately, many of these uh, elective surgery restrictions are being lifted, and even while they were in place, if a woman needed to go to surgery because there was something very specific about her cancer that needed to be addressed with surgery first, most institutions had in place criteria for taking that woman to surgery. Now, the second uh, thing that has impacted triple negative breast cancer with COVID-19 has been the fact that clinical trials in many institutions were limited or were put on hold completely because of the requirements of taking care of COVID-positive patients and the impact on institutions. Again, fortunately, uh, most research institutions are now back up and running with clinical trials, 
and other institutions made significant changes to the way they were doing their trials to allow for an easier process for patients. Why are clinical trials important? They're important because they're the only way we're going to improve treatment. They're the only way that we found out that platinum compounds play a role, that PARP inhibitors are exciting. And now trials that are looking at immunotherapy prior to surgery or immunotherapy after surgery or PARP inhibitors after surgery are hopefully going to change the approach that we use to treat women with triple negative disease. Informed consent is critical, and it's important as a woman considers a, cl a clinical trial that she understands the risks and the benefits of the proposed treatment. Uh, she also must understand that there is an option not to participate in a clinical trial and to proceed with standard therapy if such is available. So again, participation in clinical trials is critically important, but it is a woman's choice if she's going to do so or not. I'm not going to focus on metastatic disease, uh, but there is a lot that we can talk about in that setting as well. Uh, those patients have also been affected by COVID-19, although by and large, uh, chemotherapy has continued at all institutions taking care of patients. Tremendous safeguards have been put in place to ensure that during COVID-19, uh, patients were safe. Uh, many institutions have COVID-free environments for cancer patients. Uh, they're doing uh, testing prior to starting chemotherapy, testing prior to having surgery, testing prior to starting radiation. So clearly uh, a big focus for all in the care of uh, cancer patients during COVID-19 has been to ensure the safety of patients, to make sure that care was not delayed, and to ensure that appropriate care was delivered at all times. So I'll stop there. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Grana, for really setting the stage for today's program. Excellent presentation, really very informative, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. Um, and um, our next uh, next speaker is Dr. Manetta Liu. Dr. Liu is Professor and Research Chair, Division of Medical Oncology, Department of Oncology, Consultant, Division of Anatomic Pathology, Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology, Medical Director, Office of Specialty Collaboration and Contracts, Co-Leader, Genomics in Action Strategic Priority, Center for Individualized Medicine, Mayo Clinic. And Dr. Liu will be addressing new research on the treatment of triple negative breast cancer, investigational new drugs in clinical trials, specific questions to ask your healthcare team about clinical trials for triple negative breast cancer during telehealth telemedicine appointments. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Liu. Thanks, Carolyn. Um, hopefully you can all hear me well. Um, I also just want to take this opportunity to thank the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and our industry sponsors for pulling us together. Um, and for the listeners out there, remarkably for around the world um, who've taken the time to join us today. Uh, I know we're sort of landlocked um, and sheltering in place, even though some of the sheltering in place has been lifted, but still you had to you know, sign in and join us, so we're grateful to have you here. Uh, in terms of uh, new research and investigational drugs and clinical trials, uh, the world is evolving uh, for all of breast cancer, um, including triple negative breast cancer. The difficulty with 
hormone receptor negative, HER2 negative breast cancer is really the traditional focus was on chemotherapy because as Dr. Grana nicely pointed out, uh, endocrine therapy or anti-hormone therapy, HER2-directed therapy um, can't be part of the mix because those receptors aren't present. Those drugs won't work. But as we learn more and more about the biology uh, underlying the development and propagation or continuation of, of uh, breast cancer, uh, we're learning that there are other targeted agents, um, other things that we can use um, outside of endocrine therapy and HER2-directed therapy to help patients, and that's really the focus um, of research now both in early-stage breast cancer as well as in metastatic disease. Um, it's about bringing novel drugs uh, forward. It's about bringing novel drugs in novel clinical trial designs um, so that we can get those drugs earlier. Uh, in the typical uh, life cycle of a, a new medication, drugs get studied in late-stage disease, and then we start inching our way forward. Uh, and the argument is we really don't have time to waste. So yes, we need to understand safety and efficacy, but we want to be able to bring drugs as early in treatment as possible, because that's really where we're going to make our biggest difference. Uh, Dr. Grana pointed out the, this sort of shifting paradigm of giving uh, medications before surgery after a new diagnosis of early stage disease. Um, that can be particularly helpful when we're looking at novel drugs uh, because we want to be able to monitor if the drugs are working. If someone goes to surgery, really, it's just time will tell. We don't have uh, anything to monitor during the course of treatment. So this neoadjuvant therapy or preoperative therapy uh, way of approaching treatment has been really beneficial for us, particularly in some of the clinical trials. We don't want to be giving drugs with toxicities or side effects if they're not working. So it does help to have something to follow. Um, like it's not just about chemotherapy anymore. It's about adding these biologics or novel drugs um, in conjunction with chemotherapy or maybe someday replacing them. Uh, the types of uh, new agents that are in studies now, uh, we now have also an approval of immunotherapy a checkpoint inhibitor uh, or a tezeluzumab in conjunction with chemotherapy. Right now, its approval is in metastatic disease. It's not for everybody. Again, additional testing has to be done on the tumor to help determine if it really is a treatment option or not. But this whole field of immunotherapy is growing and can expand to uh, oncolytic virotherapy, so engineering viruses like the measles virus um, to attack cancers. Um, to develop vaccines that might be used as treatment or as an adjunct, right, after an initial diagnosis of breast cancer, finishing standard chemotherapy as sort of a preventive agent, um, if you will. Um, there are new tests that are being developed to understand, uh, again, the biology of breast cancer and also to monitor uh, breast cancer, and it's not necessarily unique to triple negative disease, um, but uh, these tests are certainly being studied because the idea of detecting recurrences as early as possible and sort of pouncing on them, if you will, um, is critical. And those tests can be done on tissue. If you hear about targeted sequencing panels, next-generation sequencing, it's not a part of standard of care for early-stage disease. We do it more and more in metastatic disease to help look for treatment opportunities for patients. And what we can find in tumor tissue um, may be found in the blood as well. So there's been a sort of revolution over the past few years in 
sampling the blood for tumor material as opposed to having to do biopsies. And I would envision a world where we could sample blood instead of putting people through biopsies all the time. Um, and I'll just also uh, mention genetic testing, uh, which is different than genomic testing or testing of tumors. So genetic testing is looking for something in the host, in the patient, uh, to see if there was a predisposition or something that you might have been born with that could um, have increased the risk of breast cancer. It used to only be about risk of developing disease, but we now have medications, the PARP inhibitors that are approved um, for the treatment uh, of breast cancers that harbor mutations in BRCA1, BRCA2, for example. Um, and so uh, that is worthwhile to think about and to talk to uh, your healthcare providers about. Um, I was asked to talk about what questions to ask your healthcare team about clinical trials um, in this age of telehealth and telemedicine, and I would argue they're the same questions you should ask whether you're face-to-face -face in the same room um, or face-to-face -face across a video screen. Um, at, at each point when a decision needs to be made about treatment, whether it's starting treatment um, with the new diagnosis or having to change treatment later on down the line, it's always asking about the opportunities for clinical trials. And clinical trials aren't always the right answer. Um, there are good standards of care, um, but it's important to know what your options are, and clinical trials can, you know, should always be considered. Uh, and we are in this era of COVID-19 and having to get creative about how we conduct our clinical clinical trials and ensure the safety of our patients, but I have been amazed at how uh, the world has risen to the occasion um, because we all recognize that research is the only way that we're going to do better. I tell everybody all the time that cancer sucks more than COVID, so research cannot stop, uh, and I applaud everyone who's uh, continuing um, in this uh, realm of both clinical and laboratory research for breast cancer, and I'll stop there. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Lou. That was really outstanding, excellent, and very, very informative, um, and particularly about the research component that everyone is really interested to hear more about. So thank you. Thanks. And I know there were questions for you during the Q&A. Thanks. And our next speaker is Dr. Elizabeth Jane Cathcott-Rake. Dr. Dr. Cathcott-Rake is staff physician, hematology oncology, St. Luke's Cancer Specialist in Breast Cancer, St. Luke's Cancer Institute. And Dr. Cathcott Rake will be addressing how and where clinical trials are conducted, how to participate in clinical trials, and the benefits and risks of participation in clinical trials. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Cathcott Rake. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesner, for your um, introduction and the opportunity to participate in this wonderful program. Um, I'll first talk a little bit about how and where clinical trials are conducted. So trials are conducted in phases, so one phase after another, and treatments that are thought and shown to be potentially safe and effective in the early phases of trials move along to later phases prior to being approved by the FDA and becoming a standard treatment. Um, so treatments that are thought to be effective for cancer or for triple negative breast cancer in the lab or in animals will first be tested in people in a phase one trial. So this is really where um, treatments are designed um, to, to, and trials are designed to test the safety of a treatment in people and to identify an appropriate dose. 
So these trials usually involve small numbers of participants. Uh, most of the time, these phase one trials are offered by large academic institutions. So it's less likely that phase one trials are offered at community oncology practices. And frequently, um, frequently patients who are eligible for phase one trials have undergone a variety of other treatments. Um, if a medicine is thought to be safe at a certain dose in a phase one trial, then it moves forward to be tested in a phase two trial. Phase two trials um, look at whether this treatment helps people with triple negative breast cancer in, in particular. And typically everyone who participates in a phase two trial receives the treatment being studied. So there's typically no placebo arm with a phase two trial. Um, patients may receive different preparations of a treatment, different doses, but if a treatment is promising in terms of, of effectiveness in a phase two trial, then it moves on to a phase three trial. And then phase three trials are when a new treatment is compared to a standard treatment. And frequently patients are randomized to either this new treatment or the standard treatment. Typically, these phase two and phase three trials involve more participants than a phase one trial, and they can take place at community oncology offices or even in large academic centers, both. Um, and then it's after this phase three trial, or even if, if a medicine is really promising in a phase two trial, that it's reviewed by the FDA for approval and considered as a standard of care. So as I mentioned, clinical trials are conducted all over the country and the world, um, both at academic sites and also at community sites. And some community sites even have relationships with large academic centers, allowing them um, um, to be able to offer the same clinical trials. Um, and so this is a really nice resource for people um, in different, different areas of the country and different areas of the world as well. So if you're interested in clinical trial participation, um, I would encourage you to talk with your primary oncologist, and this is something they should bring up as well, but ask if you're a candidate for a trial at their location or somewhere nearby. And this is a conversation um, that should be revisited and can be revisited at each step in your treatment course because you, your candidacy may change over time for different trials, and different trials open and close. Um, if you'd be, consider traveling to a different institution, um, certainly talk with your oncologist about places that you might be open to traveling. There are lists of these clinical trials um, that can be reviewed um, in detail to decide you know, what, a, what a, trial, a good trial for you might be, either locally or somewhere that you'd be willing to travel to. Um, they're even online and accessible to, to you as a, a patient, um, for instance, clinicaltrials.gov. But I do, um, I do think these, these websites can be very overwhelming and very difficult to sift through for anyone. And so I think it's most helpful to talk with your oncologist about these options and about candidacy of trials as well. And your, your primary oncologist, even if you're interested in a trial, at a different location or at a big academic center, if you're at a community site that doesn't offer it, your oncologist could reach out to, to the trial coordinator at somewhere else and, and get you even scheduled. Um, so this is really best visited as a conversation um, with your oncologist. 
Once you've found a trial that you might be interested in, you'll then meet with study personnel to discuss the specifics, why the trial is being done, visits, tests required, how long it'll last, and other details. And if you're willing to move forward, you'll sign a consent form. And this just means you're willing to move forward. You can withdraw your consent at any time. Um, but once the consent is signed, they'll move forward to determine whether this, you're a good fit for the trial and whether the trial is a good fit for you through this eligibility testing. Um, and then if you're deemed eligible, you'll move forward to be on the trial. Now, many trials do involve you keeping records of medicines that you take, um, timing your treatments, being in close contact with the study, study team and things like that. Um, so to move forward with risks and benefits of trial participation, um, that's very specific to the trial frequently, and that's something you'll go through in great detail with the study personnel. Um, in general, you know, the benefits have been, have been discussed as well by um, Dr. Liu and Dr. Grano um, wonderfully in that you could receive a medicine that might be found to improve outcomes in patients with triple negative breast cancer. It may improve your own cancer outcomes. Um, another benefit is that your participation really advances our understanding of, of triple negative breast cancer. Even if the treatment isn't found to be effective, that's one more piece of the puzzle that allows us to better treat patients with triple negative breast cancer. Um, risks do include potential side effects of the treatment, which may be unknown, especially in phase one trials, or, or less understood, less well understood. Um, sometimes this tri the trials can take a significant amount of time and energy for additional visits and tests. And um, certainly in the setting of COVID-19, you know, specific risks need to be taken into consideration as well. Um, for instance, traveling to a new location for a trial, more invasive testing, that is more contact with the healthcare profession. We are doing our best to do a lot of things with telehealth. So please don't discount participation in a trial because of that. Please just look into it and talk with the, the trial coordinators um, before making your decision up about it. But that is something to keep in mind. Um, you may also want to consider side effects of a medicine such as um, decreased immune system, for instance, lower white blood cell count, um, which might increase your risk for an infection. Um, but certainly that'll be something that'll be taken on a case-by-case -case basis with each trial and may be different depending on where you are in the country, in the world, and the, the status of your cancer as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Cathcart Lakeley. That was really excellent and a very, very, uh, really a cogent presentation on um, a, a lot of the details of clinical trials. And, and uh, so thank you. And I'm sure there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Our next speaker is Ms. Haley Dinneman. Uh, Ms. Dinneman is an attorney. She's co-founder and executive director, Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, and uh, Ms. Dinneman, who really has been instrumental with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation in really, um, really providing the the ability for us to offer these programs so frequently. Um, she'll be talking about the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free programs and services, conferences, and um, also, um, so I'm going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Gentleman. Thank you so much for that introduction, Dr. Messner. I appreciate it. Um, first, I want to take a moment to thank our partners at Cancer Care and my fellow presenters 
for the excellent overview on clinical trials. It goes without saying that TNBC specific medical that, that TNBC specific medical research is extremely important to our foundation. We support research at leading medical institutions and we work hard to inform you about any new developments, including clinical trials. We have expert scientific bloggers attending all the major the major medical conferences and they're there to provide our community with insights and updates on new and emerging research and treatment options. So if you're interested in receiving these updates, please be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Today's teleconference is one of many programs that we offer. Of course, all of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community. Our educational brochures and fact sheets, which include information about the clinical trial process, are available in print or as free downloads from our website. For those of you who don't know, our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two free TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services, and they are, from what we hear, much easier to navigate than other portals. One of our matching tools is for all triple negative trials, and one is designed exclusively for those of you with metastatic triple negative disease. Our website also has a TNBC News section, and a favorite of our community is our online discussion forums. Um, the forums allow you to easily connect with thousands of women who are living with triple negative breast cancer any time of the day or night. Our community members use the forums to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage side effects, and anything else related to TNBC, including tr clinical trials. Uh, most importantly, though, our discussion forums offer consistent support. So if you aren't currently registered for the forums, you should really consider joining them. You can even join anonymously. Many of you know that the TNBC Foundation likes to take every opportunity to meet with you in person, but given the current pandemic, this obviously won't be possible for the next few months. But that said, we're once again partnering with Living Beyond Breast Cancer on the triple negative track of their fall conference, and we're moving to an interactive digital platform this year. So while the conference will be different, it'll still include all the important educational offerings you've come to expect in addition to opportunities to socialize with our incredible TNBC community. We're also launching a series of TNBC community meetups by Zoom, so please be on the lookout for dates and times. Everything you need to know will be announced on our website, our forums, our official Facebook page, and our other social media channels. We look forward to connecting with you, whether on social media, by phone, or online at tnbcfoundation.org, and hopefully soon we'll be able to see you in person as well. So once again, thank you for joining us, and I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Jenner. That was outstanding and such a great organization and resource. So um, some of you are already connected to the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, but if you're not, definitely take advantage of their resources and services, and, and you'll hear more about that a little bit more in the program as well. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Ricky Farrelly, and Ms. Farrelly is Vice President, Strategic Partnerships and National Programs Sisters Network, Inc., a National African-American Breast Cancer Survivorship Network. Ms. Fairley will be addressing Sisters Network, Inc., um, and um, its free programs and, and conferences. And it really is my great pleasure to share this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Fairley. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak and um, share some thoughts around black breast cancer and clinical trials. Um, Black breast cancer is really a different disease, and I'm kind of on a personal movement to 
bring it to the table for discussion. Um, I'm a, an eight-year survivor of TNBC. My doctor gave me two years to live, and now I'm on eight, which is a very blessing. Um, but I know that my purpose is clear, and God left me here to do this work. And I try to fight like a girl every day to help my other breasties deal with our devastating disease. And thank you so much for all the words so far. Um, so let me break down why black breast cancer is different and how it's different even with TNBC. Black women are 42% more likely to die of breast cancer than white women. And black women under the age of 35 get breast cancer at twice the rate and die at three times the rate. And the breast cancer recurrence rate for black women is 39%, one of the highest. Obviously, triple negative breast cancer plays a role here as black women get triple negative breast cancer at twice the rate of white women. My personal purpose is to change the paradigm on this atrocious breast cancer mortality rate for black women. So why are so many black women dying of breast cancer? One key reason is what we're talking about today. It's that we don't have therapies that are effective for our physiology. That's because black women participation in clinical trials is extremely insufficient. Most black women or many black women are reluctant to engage in clinical trials and may refuse treatment as a result of our own kind of race-related biases and really severe lack of trust in medical professionals. According to the FDA, in eight recent clinical trials involving five group drugs approved for breast cancer, there was only 2.5% participation for black women in those trials. A recent nursing journal study found that despite obvious disparities in outcomes, black patients are well underrepresented in clinical research. Given the lack of data, it appears that finding answers to medical issues which unevenly impact the black community isn't always a priority for researchers. That's not only bad science, but it's also bad for business. So if you're wondering why this is happening, I kind of see several factors. First, there is sort of this dishonorable history of research abuses that have harmed the black community. I'm sure you've heard of Tuskegee, the syphilis experiment, and Henrietta Lacks. So there's a severe lack of trust that's really deeply rooted in, in generations. Um, add to that that just trying to get into a clinical trial is really kind of a nightmare for patients. Collecting and consolidating the necessary data can be very challenging and taxing to a person who may not be as educated as, as we are and who is also sick and not feeling well. Last fall, I spent three crazy weeks helping one of my breasties who has a PhD get her records together to be considered for a trial. It was a crazy, time-consuming, and very difficult to make happen. happen. So that's a, it's a big challenge for people. But really, the most prevalent thing I hear from black women when I bring up clinical trials is that they fear that they are going to get the placebo drug. They really just don't understand how the science actually works, and they definitely don't understand what standard of care means. The knowledge gap is huge. They just don't get that there's no downside to participating in clinical research or that when you're in clinical research, you really get great quality of care and more attention from your health professionals in the trial. The system is just not set up to build trust. When a black woman gets over her fear, and frankly, that's most often because she is metastatic 
and has very limited treatment options, she will agree to a trial. <clears throat> so then the trial, the trial team puts her in a car, drives her an hour away from the comfort zone of her own neighborhood, and takes her to an office where there isn't one person in the, in the office that looks like her. So all that trust you've kind of worked hard to build is washed away in that moment and jeopardizes the trial participation. And lastly, I really personally think we need to change the language around clinical trials. The word clinical sounds like a Petri dish, and trials sounds like failure. The whole process really needs a better name and a, and a clearer description of how trials actually work to get the participation that we need. So there's lots of work to do here. Um, I do have to give kudos where they are due, though. The new drug Tridelby for metastatic triple negative from immunomedics did work. They worked really hard to get participation, and they were able to achieve almost 8% black participation in their trial. And in my conversations with many other pharma companies, they are really trying to recruit black women to do the right thing. In the ideal world, clinical trial participation should be commensurate with the black population, which is 13%. That also means that marketing investments, advocacy investments, and development investments should be at that same 13% rate. The time is now. And actually, the silver lining in this horrible COVID pandemic and all the racial unrest that we're watching on TV every day is that the world is shining a light on healthcare disparities and the amazing fact that, yes, black lives really do matter. Well, black data matters too. I am passionate about changing these mortality numbers, and I'm excited about all the work being done for triple negative, and we must, must, must test drugs and therapies on black women. Unless we understand physiology, we're going to miss an entire and essential arm of cancer research. We must continue to do this in a way that is trustworthy and, and really most effectively led by black patients and a lot of black professionals. In my attempt to live my purpose and do my part, I'm working with several pharma companies and, and in, in many circumstances, there are black women working at these companies with the same intention to develop re relevant educational materials to hopefully break through the trust barriers and educate in a relevant way. I've also established a relationship with an awesome new company called Citizen. It's Citizen with two eyes, and I'm a proud ambassador. It's a phenomenal platform that helps you collect, summarize, and share your medical records digitally, and it gives you easy ac access to your records, and it matches you to potential clinical trials. Your data is totally HIPAA protected and you have access to clinical trials that could match your profile. It's an awesome technology and it's free. Um, I'm encouraging all of my breasties to join. And you can check it out at citizenwithtwoeyes.com. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation is also working potentially on a partnership um, that will hopefully result in better health outcomes for all of us. I have great hope based on forums like today and all of the amazing work being done by the women on this expert panel that we will advance science and save lives. And I do encourage all black women and really all women dealing with triple negative to participate in trials. So I'm just gonna end my little talk with my favorite hashtags. I'm triple positive. I'm walking in blessings every day. Today's my birthday and I have every birthday counts, right? Um, black cancer, black breast cancer, black breast cancer matters and my new favorite hashtag, Black Data Matters. You can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram 
at Ricky Dove, R-I-C-K-I-D-O-V-E. And I always say to everyone I speak to, don't forget to check the breast that you love. I know you have a pair. Thank you for this day. I'm Dr. Messer. Thank you for the opportunity. I'll turn it back over to you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fairley. That was really wonderful. Just an amazing presentation. And um, and, and Black Lives Do Matter, Black Data Matters, Black Breast Cancer Data Matters. And I think you've raised some really important issues that are really that are very important in the field right now, um, have always been. And um, I, I think that I, I see this as moving forward. So thank you so much and um, for highlighting um, these issues. Thank you. And also for the work of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, I'm sorry, of the uh, Sisters Network, which is really just amazing as well. Our next speaker is Ms. Lauren Chatelian. Ms. Chatelian is an oncology social worker with Cancer Care. She's our Women and Children's Program Coordinator. And Ms. Chatelian will be addressing Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free helpline and services, accessing resources for clinical trials. And so it's my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. I'm honored to be a part of this program today. My role at Cancer Care includes working with women diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and their families. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that those diagnosed with TMBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These comprehensive services include case management, counseling and support groups, educational workshops, publications, and limited financial assistance. By calling the TMBC Helpline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker trained in the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when diagnosed with TMBC. There are many aspects of a triple negative breast cancer diagnosis that could be addressed throughout psychosocial supportive services, making informed treatment decisions, quality of life concerns, and communication with one's medical team are important topics that can be discussed with an oncology social worker. Working one-on-one with an oncology social worker through individual counseling can offer a space to express one's feelings, emotions, and concerns. Individuals may choose to supplement existing social networks by joining a support group. Joining a support group can be a way of connecting with others going through a similar experience who may understand what you could be encountering. Being a member in a support group can offer the opportunity to speak with others, gather and provide support, as well as obtain information. Being a member in a support group with others who have been diagnosed with TMBC can be extremely helpful in hearing how others are coping with this diagnosis, such as in one of our TMBC-specific online support groups. Individuals may also experience practical and financial concerns throughout one's cancer treatment. Together, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer limited financial assistance for cancer-related costs such as transportation and child care, and our oncology social workers can help you find resources. By calling the helpline, individuals also have access to national case management services. This involves a short-term strength-based approach to case management where social workers can work with clients in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. 
We, of course, recognize how COVID-19 can specifically affect an individual diagnosed with TNBC, as well as loved ones and caregivers. This is a very challenging and uncertain time for many people. There may be feelings of enhanced barriers in accessing treatments and clinical trials. Many precautions are in place, and the good news is that many centers may be resuming clinical trials if they have been paused in any way. Telehealth may also be extremely helpful throughout clinical trial participation. As we have heard today, clinical trials can test the benefits of new treatment for someone diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer. Clinical trials are tested in phases, as Dr. Cathcart Rake shared, each phase having a different and specific purpose, such as safety, how well a treatment may work for a certain type of cancer, and to compare the new treatment to the established approved treatment. Clinical trials may provide an opportunity for those diagnosed to access the latest in cancer care and help identify new therapies for, for people diagnosed with cancer overall. As Ms. Dinnerman mentioned, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation offers clinical trial matching services that can make your search for these trials that are available faster and easier. Callers can even speak to a trained clinical trial navigator, um, and they can call the, the phone number to reach those navigators at 855-731-6036, and also on the website, as Ms. Dinnerman mentioned. If you're interested in learning more about the support services the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offer, I encourage you to call the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Helpline. You can reach us at 877-880-8622. We are here to offer you support and look forward to hearing from you. It has been such a pleasure to be a part of this very informative program today. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to speak. I will now turn the program back to Dr. Meisner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Chatelian. That was a wonderful presentation and a wonderful resource, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Again, it's a resource for all of you to take advantage of and the accessing resources for clinical trials as well. Um, and I should tell you that um, you will all be receiving um, uh, you'll all be receiving actually um, at the end of today's program an evaluation form, and of course we want your feedback, but also you'll be getting um, all the resources that were mentioned during the call today, so you'll have access to that as well, and any additional resources that we think would be useful to you, so you'll have as much information after the call as possible um, to follow up on. And I'm going to ask now Norma to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to take um, uh, your questions, so please, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, you can. And I'm going to leave it to Norma to tell you what to do next. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to ask a question, please press star on your touchtone telephone, star one on your touchtone phone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, to ask a question, that's star one on your touchtone phone. So we have a question from one of our online participants, um, Dr. Grana, if you would start with this. Um, I had a TNBC full response, and I did do the next generation testing blood, and I have a mutation TP53. No doctors I went to know what to do with it. Any suggestions, trials? So if you would start with that question, uh, Dr. Grana. 
in a general way? Um, um, I guess I'll start in a general way and leave with some questions that others might reply. First of all, if you have triple negative breast cancer and had a complete pathologic response, I think those are some of the three most beautiful words in my English language because that is the most we can achieve from giving chemotherapy prior to surgery. It means the disease is gone from the breast and the axillary lymph nodes, and those are the women that have the absolutely best prognosis. Their risk of recurrence is not zero, but it is quite small. In those women, we actually don't do anything else, and they're not candidates for anything else uh, in terms of uh, capecitabine as further therapy, a pembrolizumab trial that we might have considered. Uh, those women, uh, there are some studies looking at the circulating tumor cells or bone marrow circulating tumor cells to see if you find anything, whether that could be uh, impacted. So it, there may be trials that are appropriate, but as a standard of care, there's nothing further. What the TP53 means is uh, questionable. If they found this in blood, was it a mutation that was present in her germline, meaning she, in, she was born with it? Uh, does it? Those tend to go along with the very striking family history. Um, and those really do have to be managed with intensive screening for other cancers and for family members. If this was a test, however, that was found in the tumor, if it was a tumor-derived TP53, it is very commonly found in breast cancer, and we don't do anything with that because we don't have any drugs that are targeting that. But do others on the call... Can others think of anything else to do with that? Dr. Lou, do you want to comment as well? Sure. Um, thank you. I'll just add, uh, so it depends on the setting uh, in which the testing is done, what the opportunities might be. Uh, although there are uh, evaluations, investigations into the use of um, blood testing, to monitor for recurrence. It's not something that's done as a standard of care. Uh, so as, as Dr. Grana nicely points out, um, we don't act on it. We typically shouldn't act on it. Um, and it's questionable whether we should be sending those types of tests for clinical information. Again, there are studies that are being done to try to determine whether or not we should do that. In the setting of advanced disease or metastatic disease, there is the potential role uh, for using those types of tests to guide treatment decisions. Um, there are some new compounds out there that target um, tumors that have uh, mutations in P53. Um, you'd want to be sure it is a mutation in the tumor itself um, to be appropriate. So, uh, again, I think there are opportunities out there, but it's not clear if that's the opportunity that needs to be investigated at this time for this individual. Excellent. Uh, Dr. Cascade-Rich, do you want to add anything as well? Oh, I feel like they've they've covered things very thoroughly. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks. And um, we have a question from one of our telephone participants. Um, Norma? We have a question from Judy W. Your line is open. Hi. Um, I have triple negative breast cancer. I had um, five millimeters left after chemo before surgery. I had a lumpectomy. I'm currently taking, I did radiation. I'm currently taking Zolota. Um, I'm about halfway through the eight cycles. My question is, I saw recently that there were researchers at Tulane that identified um, 
triple negative, a gene associated with it, and a way of turning it off, um, is they're about to start clinical trials. Do you have any idea um, who would be a candidate for those trials or um, who, like, is someone at this point in treatment possibly a candidate? Could I contact someone and find out? What is your, do you have any knowledge about that study? Excellent. Thank you for that excellent question. Um, Dr. Liu, would you like to address that question in a general way? Uh, sure, I, I can in a general way, which is simply that I, I, I'm not aware of that particular uh, clinical trial. I can maybe speak a little bit globally. Um, one, if you have interest and you know the institution, I would call the, the institution. Um, most of the centers will have an intake person um, and that can connect you with, say, the coordinator for that study to just determine your eligibility. Um, I always caution people, if you are on a standard of care, um, you don't necessarily want to interrupt your treatment in that standard of care to seek another opportunity because those type, particularly for a trial that's an early phase trial that we have no um, assessment of potential benefit or not. But I would just call Tulane to see if you could connect with someone. Sorry that I don't know more. Excellent. Thank you. Anyone else want to add to that? Okay. Um, so we have a number of online questions. Um, so this is a question for um, Dr. Kathcut Rake. Are there many side effects or risks associated with a trial after surgery and chemo for a TNBC vaccine to stop recurrence? So that's a really good question, and I, I think it depends more specifically on what that vaccine trial is. Um, I would certainly, if if you're considering a vaccine trial and it's thought to be a, you're thought to be a good candidate for that, um, I would talk really specifically with the study team at that institution to get more ideas about risks and benefits. Um, I know there, um, for instance, is a full eight vaccine trial that has been open um, that um, you know tends to be fairly well tolerated, but there are specific risks and benefits to that. And as Dr. Liu mentioned, you know, there's um, measles vaccine trials and things like that as well, um, which just tend to cause more of an inflammatory response. So it would depend very specifically on the vaccine trial that you are looking into. And those are really wonderful questions to talk with the trial, the study team about in detail before, um, before deciding whether to go forward on that trial. Thank you. And does anyone else want to add anything to it, Dr. Garner or Dr. Liu? Okay. I would say that I love the concept of trials of uh, of trials in general. So if there's a trial that may be applicable to you, do a little bit of research. I like the concept of vaccine trials. I don't think we've seen the uh, – we have yet to realize the benefit of these vaccine trials. It's still a work in progress, but I encourage my patients whenever possible to participate. Thank you. And uh, a question now for uh, you, Dr. Graner. For metastatic triple negative breast cancer patients, is it still worth researching clinical trials if a maintenance chemo standard of care, such as arubulin, is successfully working? Um, so I think it's always, if you're on something that has been very effective, I would not necessarily change course. Uh, I probably would not change course. But I think it's worth searching for clinical trials for when and if that, that drug should stop working so you know what options you have in front of you. 
So I think it's always worthwhile to know what clinical trials may be available. Excellent. Thank you. Can I just um, add and, to that? Yes, please. Oh, yes, please. Sorry, it's Minetta. I just want to add to that. It is uh, commendable to try to stay a step ahead, so to speak, um, and think about trial opportunities for down the road. Um, I just caution people to be aware of the fact that trials, you know, come and go. They open, they close, um, and eligibility, you know, your own eligibility may change depending on clinical status. So something that may be an opportunity right now may not be true six months from now. It doesn't mean that you should, you know, kind of line things up and have in your head um, that there are options out there. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Excellent point. And what about working with the healthcare team that's treating you? How does, what would you recommend in terms of that? I think they can be some of your best advocates. Uh, they know you. They know what you're willing to do, how far you're willing to go. So I would engage them and let them know that you are interested in this so that they can give you advice. And they may have people on their team that can do some of the initial legwork for you. I know that in our research office, we actually can do a, a fair amount of searching for trials internally. Excellent. And uh, excellent. These are really outstanding questions. This is a, a great audience today, I have to say. Um, now, a question for Dr. Liu. What can you tell us about metabolic profiling of targets for triple negative breast cancer? Metabolic profiling. Wow. I love these questions, by the way, and I don't want to end, so can we keep going? <laughs> um, so, um, Metabolic profiling specifically, uh, it, it's be, there, there are investigations um, into it uh, in different settings. Um, nothing that is considered a standard of care. Um, and very, I would consider it very investigational. Uh, there's a lot of uh, technologies out there, assays to profile tumors, the metabolic profiling, the mutational profiling, et cetera. Uh, the, we, we're in this world where we have such amazing technologies uh, and they've advanced so quickly, we almost have too much information that we don't know what to do with. So uh, although it's exciting to have all that information, I think we need to take a deep breath, try to pull it together and really figure out what the story is. Um, so nothing to do right now, but certainly uh, exciting work in, in metabolic profiling, et cetera. Excellent. Thank you. Well, these are great. Here's another one, Dr. Um, for Dr. Croner. Um, I have TMBC non-metastatic, and I'm currently being considered for a PEMBRO trial. Can you please elaborate on the on about where this trial is in the staging process, where PEMBRO might already be approved as standard of care, when actually might be approved, um, and potential benefits and long-term side effects. Um, so, uh, good question. Pembrolizumab is one of the new immunotherapy drugs that's uh, FDA approved in multiple other diseases such as lung cancer, some, uh, I think, kidney. Uh, it's approved for metastatic uh, breast cancer that has certain features such as uh, certain molecular features such as microsatellite instability. Uh, high tumor mutation burden, certain specific features. Uh, it's already uh, FDA approved for those settings. It's a fascinating drug and a fascinating family of drugs that have a whole host of toxicity that is definitely making oncologists 
uh, learn or remember their internal medicine because we're being asked to, to really stay on top of our game in terms of managing these toxicities. There's data in early-stage breast cancer, preoperative chemotherapy, that the sister of pembrolizumab or atezolizumab uh, has activity uh, when given prior to surgery. And another large trial is ongoing in the United States now uh, that will hopefully give us that answer. It's given with carboplatinum, taxol, uh, and uh, adriamycin and cytoxin. There is a trial that I think may be the one you're looking talking about, which is being uh, done in women who uh, got chemotherapy, uh, had surgery, have some residual disease, uh, and now are being offered participation in a trial of pembrolizumab uh, or placebo for one year. Uh, it's a wonderful trial. Uh, we have it open at our institution. It's open across the country. Uh, whenever I see a woman who has characteristics that could benefit, I really urge them to because uh, I think it's exciting. However, it is a trial that you need to be very fully informed because these drugs do have significant and can be life-threatening side effects. So it's not just a walk in the park. Excellent. Thank you. That's very important. And a question for Dr. Cascott-Rake. Um, when discussing potential involvement in a trial with a trial consultant, can the neutrality of the information be trusted? I feel like there may be some innate bias when talking to someone involved in trial administration. Uh, could you comment on that, Dr. Cascott-Rake? Yeah, gosh, that's, that is, is such yeah. a, a good consideration and um, something that I think is really important for, for people to be um, thinking about. So, um, you know, certainly you've, you've heard us talk about how excited we are about some clinical trials, and, um, and a lot of that is just because the early research um, in some of these medicines, you know, immunotherapy, for instance, is so exciting that we're, we're really hopeful that we can offer people additional benefits by going forward with another trial with a medicine that we, we think is exciting. So I, I do admit, I mean, I do think that some of us um, have these potentially unconscious, um, unconscious biases towards recommending a clinical trial. Um, or talking with patients about a clinical trial. Um, but I think well, the, the vast majority of the time, that's because we're really hopeful that we can provide you with an additional medicine that may offer you some benefit. Um, with any trial, um, there is a, a, a standard, a consent form that goes through the details about risks and benefits, and that consent form is sent through a centralized IRB that has no um, no uh, association, um, you know, with with the medications that are being tried. That governing that body is just there to make sure that this trial is safe and that people are well informed of the risks and benefits. And so, I think it's really important to go through that paperwork in detail and really understand what they're saying the risks are and the benefits are. And, and really talking with your doctor about any of the concerns that you might have, because even if they do, you know, even if they're really excited about this trial and feel like it may be promising for you, um, ultimately they they want you to have the best care that you can have, and if they want you to be comfortable with your care, no matter what it is, and if that, you know, if if that for you is not participating, 
um, then I think we all would understand that. Um, so I think it's just making sure you really understand that paperwork that does go through the, the governing body of the IRB and really um, is, is meant to be there to give you a clear understanding of the risks and benefits. And then, you know, bringing up any concerns that you might have. Um, certainly, there's a lot of information online, some of it helpful, some of it not so helpful about some of these medicines that you can, if you see and it bothers you, that you certainly should bring up and talk about with your with your oncologist. Um, and that, that's why there's also oncologists and, you know, across the country who are here to talk with you and if you have specific questions, can answer questions about things like that. Excellent. Thank you. These are really amazing questions, I must say, or questions that we often aren't being asked during these programs. So I really have to say a credit to our audience and also a great credit to our, our speakers as well. Does anyone else want to comment on that? Or Okay. And there's one, I guess I'm going to take this one last question um, uh, for Dr. Grana. What can you tell us about the cancer oncology clinic study into off-label drugs? Cancer Oncology, oncology Clinic, clinic study. study into Off-Label Drugs. I may not know what study they're referring to. Uh, I mean, I have a number of patients that are taking drugs that are supplements or repurposed drugs as part of alternative or integrative regimens. I don't think that's what these folks are, what this question is alluding to. Um, do others, can others think of what this question might be alluding to? No. I, well, I guess once there, there is, there are some trials going on. Again, this may not at all be what they're alluding to, but there are some trials going on called basket trials in which drugs are specifically being um, uh, aimed at mutations that are identified in the tumor. So those drugs are not necessarily FDA approved for that particular indication, but they're being tested in a targeted way. Those trials are ongoing. But again, other than that, I don't know of, of what this is alluding to. And actually, the off-label use of drugs not in a clinical trial. Can you just comment on that? Oh, off-label of... drugs. Well, in oncology, we do use drugs uh, uh, sometimes for things that have not gotten FDA approval. I can think of some of the agents that we use to manage toxicity, uh, for example, so uh, gabapentin for neuropathy and uh, some of the antidepressants for uh, managing hot flashes and night sweats. So those are off-label use of common drugs. Uh, we do use some chemotherapy drugs that may have indications for other diseases when mechanistically this cancer might benefit. Um, but again, that's not a common pattern. Okay, excellent. Well, this, I have to say, I know we could go on all afternoon, but we, <laughs> this is supposed to be an hour program, so I want to thank our speakers. You've been phenomenal. And I also want to thank our participants who've really asked such amazing questions. Um, and uh, so it's been a really great team effort here today, I must say. Uh, wonderful speakers, wonderful participants. And um, so I do, in kind of wrapping this program up, want to remind all of you that if you still have questions, and even if you asked a question today, we want you to take that back, of course, to your treating healthcare team. 
um, because they know you the best. I think a lot of our speakers have said that today. They know you the best, and they actually are a very good resource to go to. Now, in addition to your healthcare team, we know that many of you would like to go to credible resources so that you will be receiving your evaluation, and in there will be, not it's not only an evaluation, although we do like your feedback, but it also includes a lot of the resources that were mentioned during the call today as credible resources to go to for information. And also, you have to understand that we want things to be credible in the sense that it's almost the same month you want something to have been vetted. If you want it to be from a major cancer center, um, that would be very important in terms of the... Um, so we will be giving you um, th those resources. In addition to, of course, you, we have the uh, two wonderful collaborating organizations of uh, Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Sisters Network. So those are two additional organizations that also just have wonderful resources for all of you. And um, so I, I just, I, you know, I, won't, I don't can't stress that enough as, as resources for all of you use as well. Um, and, um, and then for those of you who wish to pursue further help from either the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Sisters Network, Cancer Care, um, you, we will give you all of their uh, uh, telephone numbers and websites as well for people both internationally as well to take advantage of to get the information you need so you feel the most informed. That's really the most important thing we want you to leave today with is additional resources and also your takeaway. Also, please know that all of our programs are archived on our website. Um, and so um, probably within two days of this program, this will be up on our website. You can listen to it as a podcast, and it will be up as a podcast for at least a year, if not longer. So that's true for all of our programs, so that you'll be able to listen to them on either uh, on our website as a replay, a podcast, or you can listen to it on telephone replay. So with that being said, um, the last thing I do want to say, though, is um, we're now living in an era, of course, um, that you know, with COVID-19, people are feeling, you know, the sort of social isolation um, increased just because of our, our being, many people are being advised to stay at home as much as possible. I know there are regional and global differences in that as well. Different parts of the country open up at different points. And so I, I recognize that many of you on the call may feel alone and may feel more alone than usual. And it's normal to feel alone, but I do want you to know that you're now part of a network of support, and much of it is virtual by telephone, online, Twitter, Facebook. There are many different ways that you can connect with people who can help you. So that's just something I want you to all be aware of, that um, although you may feel alone and that is normal, nevertheless, you are, there are lots of resources out there that you can actually connect to that, that bring you support and all different types of supports. So it's really important for all of you. So I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.